everybody, I'm the drunk phytologist, Dr. Rochelle Lapham, aka Phyto or DP, and I use the pronoun she, her. And I'm Ethan Lapham, uh, also known as Talkman363, and I use pronouns uh, he, him. And this is Natural 20. <laughs> Natural 20 is a podcast that discusses the lore, history, and biology of Dungeons and Dragons, creatures, and monsters. Natural 20 is also an adult podcast featuring adult language. You have been warned. Hey everybody! Welcome back to Natural 20! We did it. We're back. Deal with it. <laughs> and we have a special guest here today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Just name, pronouns, a little bit about you. Yes! I am full. No, my name is Darwin. Um, <laughs> I go by he, him. Yeah, no, I'm a dungeon master. I've been playing for better part of four years now. I run three different games, one of them in a combined game world. What else? I'm just a big nerd. That's fair. Yeah. Covers the gamut. That's about it. He's so, also one of our best friends and is spending Christmas with us, and so here we are. Yes. Here's your Boxing Day podcast, everybody. <laughs> this is it. We did it. Yes. It's full of food, and it's time for podcasts. Oh my God. so much food. We uh, got into the spirit of today's subject, the kobold. In its unending search for more food. Mm. That's it. It's to get in character, so hopefully we won't be fall asleep too fast. Too late. <laughs> too late. It's true. We're really asleep this whole time. So, Ethan, do we want to talk about the lore of the kobold, or should I start describing this 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 beast? Why don't we get a description? I think most people know kobolds. I mean, they're pretty common, pretty famous, and a couple examples we'll probably touch on. But just in case you're not familiar with the kobold, so your kobold is a reptilian humanoid. They're about, what do we say, like three feet tall, three, four feet tall. Mm-hmm. They like to Between worship... Like 35 and 50, 45 pounds. Yeah. They like to worship dragons as demigods and serve them as minions. They tend to inhabit dragons' lairs and can, or more commonly, infest dungeons, gathering treasures and trinkets for their own tiny hordes. They say that they are egg-laying creatures, they mature quickly, and can live to be great worms more than a century old. However, many kobolds perish before they reach the end of their first decade. Physically weak, they are easy prey for predators. Their vulnerability forces them to band together. The superior um, superior numbers can win battles against powerful adversaries, but often with massive casualties on the kobold side. So this is also sort of the fifth edition lore, but we'll get into sort of where kobolds come from. So they're known as tunnelers and builders. They make up for their physical ineptitude with cleverness for trap making and tunneling. Layers consist of low tunnels through which they can move easily, but which hinder larger humanoids. They riddle their layers with traps. The most insidious kobold traps make use of natural hazards and other creatures. A trip wire might connect to a spring-loaded trap uh, that hurls clay pots of flesh-eating green slime or flings crates of venomous giant centipedes at intruders. And so that there are, in addition to the dragons they revere, kobolds worship a lesser god named Kurtulmak. Legends speak of how Kotomak served as Tiamat's vassal in the Nine Hells until Glar Glittergold, the god of gnomes, stole a trinket from the Dragon Queen's hoard. Tiamat sent Kotomak to retrieve the trinket, but Glar Glittergold played a trick on him, collapsing the earth and trapping the kobold god in an underground maze for eternity. For this reason, kobolds hate gnomes and pranks of any kind. Kotomak's most devoted worshippers dedicate themselves to finding and releasing their lost god from his prison maze. Now, in addition to, so your normal kobold, if we go ahead and look at the stat block here. So they have a challenge rating of one-eighth, so 
This is like... Oh, the weak. The weak yeah, yeah, this is like your... They are outpaced by other small animals. Yes. They are considered lawful evil. They have some sort of code, generally speaking. Armor class of 12. Hit points, 5. The gold 5. Speed of 30 feet. Strength modifier is a minus 2. <laughs> Dex plus 2. Con minus 1. Intelligence minus 1. Wisdom minus 2. Charisma minus 1. Dark vision, 60 feet. Passive Perception 8, Speak, Common and Draconic. They are sensitive to sunlight. So Cobalts have disadvantage on attack rolls, so that kind of goes into the tunneling, sort of subterranean kind of lifestyle, as well as on Wisdom Perception checks that rely on sight. They have what are called pack tactics. So yep. these are some different kinds of beasts, as well as other animals, which will have advantage on attack rolls against a creature if at least one of the Cobalt's allies is within five feet, feet of whatever you're attacking, right. and that ally is incapacitated. They can use daggers and slings. That's about it. Now, sometimes you can get special kobolds. So there are a few kobolds which are born with leathery wings and can fly. These are known as urds. Mm -hmm. They like to lurk on high ledges and drop rocks on passersby, and the urds' wings are seen as gifts from Tiamat, the Dragon Queen. Wingless kobolds are envious of those gifts and, gifts and don't usually get along with them. If you have a winged kobold... They're slightly beefier with a big old seven hit points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A plus three to dex, and then the rest is basically the same. Um, although they do have the attack, instead of just having a dagger and a sling, now we have dropped rock. Mm-hmm. Almost as good as my favorite kind of weapon, which is what, Ethan? <laughs> that face... Oh, God. <laughs> the uh, pointhead stick. Ah, yes, the pointhead stick. I was the like, point I'm lost. Stick. The pointhead stick, a superior weapon. <laughs> Which, but. depending on edition, that uh, does come up as the favored weapon of uh, Kurtul Mac. Yes. Is the spear. Is the spear. No, now the pointhead stick. <laughs> so, yeah, the kobold, like I said, it goes back to first edition. The art there is very odd. It's almost like you just took a person and gave them kind of a dragon head. Are they even um, wearing clothing and whatnot? Uh, so they talk about the, you know, their sort of loose tribal war bands based on their generations. They did have the same kind of low light deficiency where you know, bright sunlight would cause yeah, them to reduce their mm -hmm. attack capability. But they call out that for uh, every 40 kobolds encountered, there will be a leader and two guards who are equal to goblins. And if you have 200 or more encountered in their lair... Um, you will also have 5 to 20 guards, roughly 50% of the number of kobolds being female, a young equal to roughly 10%, and 30 to 300 eggs. Uh, they also may keep wild boars or giant weasels, which they use as mounts. Because, of course they do. So what we're learning here right now is that if some kobold doesn't work, you just use more kobold. Right? Correct. The goal is always more kobold. And they, there's even a, a chart that breaks down, like, the weapons in use, the you know capabilities. They particularly do not get along with brownies or pixies or sprites or gnomes, and war continually with gnomes. So the gnome hatred was right out of the gate. And the term kobold actually is a uh, German folklore. They were house spirits in certain instances, but also were just sort of part of the world. So there were mine spirits and water spirits. They show up in Faust, uh, representing the Greek element of Earth. Yes. Um, so the, the term kobold shows up quite a bit. So it's in D&D, it is specific to the draconic adjacent creatures. 
They are lawful evil. They serve chromatic dragons, typically if they serve any dragon. They are always worshipful of dragons, but they do worship Kertumak, who was said to be a, a servant or vassal of Tiamat, and has been trapped in an underground maze, hence their urge to dig. Kobolds actually in 5th edition get brought up quite a bit. Volo's Guide to Monsters gives us quite a bit of background on how they deal with arcane magic, particularly sorcerers. They call out that some kobolds will work with human communities, where they will hire the kobolds and pay them in, like, trinkets and tools to have them dig out the sewers and the, like, drainage system underneath the city. And they sometimes will remain and be sort of in partnership with above-ground communities. Right. And if you're running in a homebrew world, or even in a, in a world like, let's say, Waterdeep, yeah. that's something you could totally use. It's, it's, it's great to have something underneath, kind of working around, having living, and they're just fun creatures to have. On top of that, they do give a little bit of biology, which I think will probably very much interest you, Fido. Kobolds have very little sort of cool affinity to kinship to others. It's much more just a communal system. It's a lot of, like, everybody's cousins. Mm-hmm. But they don't raise their young individually. They're collectively raised. However, so they use communal hatcheries, and they are egalitarian when it comes to females working just alongside the males. There's no, like, you had, this is a feminine job, this is a masculine job. But they call out specifically that if most males or females of a tribe are killed, mm-hmm. some survivors will change over the next several months until the tribe is balanced again. Interesting. Nice. I like it. So because of these factors, kobolds don't have assigned gender roles. A leader, a sorcerer, a minor, etc. can be female or male. That is actually a little bit more similar to amphibians, actually, mm-hmm. than actual reptiles. But it does give us that kobolds grow and mature much more swiftly than members of other humanoid races. So they do consider them somewhat humanoid. The body shape is, you know, two legs, two arms. They're, you know, a bonus of a tail, but humanoid. At six years old, a kobold is considered an adult. Most succumb to violence or accidents or disease by age 20, but they can live for up to 120 years, a longevity attributed to being distantly related to dragons. Females can lay up to six eggs per year, and an egg matures for two or three months before it hatches. They also note that they don't engage in funeral ceremonies, uh, in which a dead kobold's body is either burned or disposed of in some other convenient way, for example, in cannibalistic tribes, eaten, because why waste good meat? And they believe that if they die in service to their tribe, Kertumak immediately sends them back to life as the next egg laid in the hatchery. If a particularly important or respected member dies, the hatchery is closely monitored, and the next egg laid is immediately separated from the breast and carefully protected, so that once it hatches, the resultant kobold is groomed to fill that previously left position. So they do have some sort of through line. I mean, you can definitely give them a much more like tribal ideal. Mm-hmm. There can be these kind of like long-running stories, family names. They are a fleshed out, sort of like goblins, where they kind of get maligned as just this like evil throwaway monster. You can absolutely have a kobold society to interact with. Volos kind of gives you that with the idea of them digging sewers and working in conjunction with other humanoids. It also calls out that they tend to, they, you know, they don't really work materials, so they have a lot of, like, raw gold nuggets and uncut gemstones. But if they do work things into some form of jewelry, they make sure that it is something that does not make noise when they move because they rely on their stealth. Mm-hmm. Like their, their main defensive capabilities are being stealthy and luring their enemies into traps, be it a large number of other kobolds or a literal physical trap. It would be easy to surmise that kobolds would use their environment, so they would only go out at night, they would only pick up easy things that would be easy to just snatch and go, 
in some games I've used, they would rob gnome homes and mm-hmm. whatnot. And oh, and even in the book, it mentions like yeah, they would do pranks on them too, spitting in their milk and things like that. Yeah, it's if they're going to go after someone, it's usually not a direct attack. Mm-hmm. It's being just annoying enough. It's always very so like. You know it's the kobolds, mm-hmm. but it's never something that would require like a, a direct, violent retribution. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely it, as much as they're like we don't like pranks. They will mess with other people. They also like traps. Yes, mm-hmm. like traps a lot. Kobolds love traps. That has been a long running thing, and it's to their advantage. So like their warrens and their layers are built such that the tunnels are like just big enough for them. And in, including, they can call out like escape tunnels are built where the, the final section of tunnel, even the kobold has to squeeze through. And they're small. So that means most adventurers are going to have a hard time being in a kobold lair because they're going to build small tunnels. And, the, you know, if they move into a larger cave system, they will burrow things out. They're very efficient miners. They don't fear collapsing their tunnels. They do it constantly. They're constantly renovating, constantly moving. And I think that leads into sort of, like you said, is it's, it's closer to some amphibians, and in their appearance, in their style, you know, they're given as being this temperate monster. Like, they're, they're going to live in hilly areas or mountainous areas. And if they end up in a swamp or something, they will seek out high ground. Mm-hmm. They want to be hidden. They want to be away from things. They don't want to be spotted. Like, their whole goal is to just be background yep. noise. However, there's some problems with that. And one of the reasons that there's some problems with that, and we get into the biology here, is because of them being reptiles. And the thought is that, you know, with some dragons, because dragons are magic or have inner fire or something, whatever, you know. And there was this was actually discussed on Biology of Superheroes podcast where they discussed mm-hmm. dragons. That dragons, if they work the way they, w- they do, would have to be warm-blooded right. for them to function. Versus kobolds, they have basically said, are reptilian, which means that and they cold-blooded. are... And yeah. therefore they are cold-blooded. So they would at least have to be... I could see them being in forested regions. I could see them being in arid regions. But it would at least need to be subtropical. Not any place that freezes over. They would have... The main advantage to be underground, at least, then, is that ground temperature is relatively consistent. Yes. And so, but in wintertime, they would disappear. Yes. Like, they would be, like, more than usual. Cobalt would be purely underground. Because then what you could do is do something similar to other types of frogs or amphibians, which actually, and other small reptiles mm-hmm. that do live northern, small snakes, things of that nature, go into a type of hibernation period, right, which we refer to as torpor. Mm -hmm. And so torpor is where basically the body goes through very, like, suspended animation almost. It's very, very minimal minimal maintenance. maintenance, right. So it's like the heart rate is very, very low. once a minute? Yeah, exactly. Heart rate's very, very low. Body temperature is very, very low. There is some special case of certain types of amphibians which will literally freeze solid. Yeah, they they live, like, isn't it north of the Arctic Circle? North of the Arctic Circle. And what will happen is that basically their blood has a type of antifreeze in it Mm. that will keep them from dying. But the thing is, is they will die. They will freeze solid, stop everything, and then as they thaw out, right, then they'll be fine. They come back to life, basically. That would be an interesting thought, actually, to use it within game. Mm -hmm. Having a bunch of kobold just disappear and then adventurers find a a kobold cavern. Throw it into Icewind Dale. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's not there already... It's a great opportunity to do so. Right. right. Because I've seen a couple instances where I've seen art where it's like a bunch of kobolds like in a in like a furry jacket or something yeah. like that. That only works if they're if producing they, heat. If they produce heat, which they wouldn't, and they wouldn't actually be able to move, or they would move very slowly. Now you could, being subterranean dwellers, perhaps they've found some sort of like lava chamber 
or some sort of like underground Cabinet hot springs, springs. Mm-hmm. right, where they have a heat source. Mm-hmm. And yep. then they could stay more active. Yeah, they may have a cave that doesn't year. necessarily have like active lava in it, but is right next to a lava tube. Right. So that generates heat in the cave. They keep the hatchery nearby. Ah, and that would be pretty interesting for traps to be used with the uh, with lava and things like that. Absolutely, especially hot because, water. Again, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> they will build hot water traps. They build murder holes. Mm-hmm. They collapse tunnels, mm-hmm. either manually, like you know, they set them up, they rig them to like pull a string and it collapses, or and they even call this out of like. They'll build a deadfall trap that, like, a larger adventure squeezing through the tunnel will knock loose the beam and bring the whole thing down on them. Yep. Rocks will use that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's absolutely the kind of thing... And they'll take anything that's not nailed down if it could be useful, right? Like, they'll rob cobbler shops for the, the leather and the nails. They'll steal butter knives and sharpen them. They'll... Quarters. You know, rocks, whatever yep. they can get a hold of, and yep. repurpose it. They are the, the, the anti-gnome. Like where you're going, your gnomes are these like happy tinkerer people, and they're in tune with the Feywild and bringing good magic to everyone. Kobolds are like, what if gnomes, but evil dragons? What if they just take all of the garbage and just build garbage things with it, and cause you know death and destruction? But that's their survival. Mm-hmm. Like their survival is purely predicated. Like they have no problem living in a room full of landmines because at least the landmines are pointed out. Like. The, the, it's so much a the constant fear and danger is so much a part of their life. Yeah. You know, they're one decent sword swing away from death. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and they're totally okay with other kobolds dying as long as right. the whole clan yeah. is still running. It yeah. is the egalitarian like greater yeah. good, and so I think they even call out the example of like you know you, the adventurers will tell stories of like the one dumb kobold that stood and you know tried to fight them. It's like yeah, sure, but thirty got away. Mm-hmm. Like their whole thing is betterment for the tribe it's always pushing to improve so everybody works everybody is a part of things mm-hmm. if they die in a cave-in they die in a cave-in you know pull them out eat the meat move on mm-hmm. you know or feed the meat to your your wolves or your boars or whatever you've managed to tame they'll use spiders and centipedes and like pack them into like a vase and be like ha look it's like treasure and you open it and ha swarm of spiders this is the shit they get up to mm-hmm. Because there are different forms of kobolds that have happened over the editions. So if we look at um, fourth, fourth edition. edition, for example, besides like what they call like a kobold minion, which is like your basic kobold, yeah, you can have mooks, right? Four you can minions have, were one hit point. Uh-huh. Right. So then you can have like a kobold skirmisher, which is now we have got we have upgraded to the pointed stick, mm-hmm. see the superior weapon, as well as that they have extra combat advantages, trap sense, those sorts of things. They're a little bit beefier. You can get a kobold slinger, kind of self-explanatory. Does what it says on the tin. Says what it, yep, exactly. And they have special abilities to do more range sort of things. You can have a kobold dragon shield, which is actually kept in 5th edition a bit. Mm-hmm. And this is used as, they have now a short sword and Ooh. a shield. Mm-hmm. So the shields are usually and, made of wood or wicker. You know, it's, yep. scavenged things. And right. they're it's a also, basket lid. I mean, you know. Whatever they can get their hands pot on. Pot lid, yeah, yeah. yep. Each one of these is a bit beefier. One of the things that I liked using back in the before times of mm. 4E... The long ago of 2008. 2008. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a kobold worm priest. Mm-hmm. And so this would be, you now have magic. And so we yeah, have... Draconic sorcerers. Yep, draconic sorcerers. So that these would also usually have some of these where it's like if you wanted to have your winged kobolds, right? Like your urds. Your urd would have maybe you get this worm priest, which they can have 
basically, you know, there it was most of the time they would have like a breath weapon. So this goes back into sort of the draconic kind heritage. of heritage, yeah. as well as some other. In, I like this one, incite faith, which is that basically within a close burst ten, all of your kobold allies nearby get temporary hit points, right? Yes, and sir. get emboldened, basically. Energy orbs, and then you could... And that energy orb could depend on what type of dragon they served. So then you could have... So that's something you can use in your game, where it's like, if they worship like an acid type E dragon... Oh, yeah. Yeah, have it be like dragon, that. Great. You know, then their orb is poison. Mm-hmm. You know, their orb is acid. Their orb is lightning. It just yeah. depends on your dragon. And the fanciest one, the fanciest one, is called a kobold sly blade. So this their is... Their version a, of a rogue. Yes. So then you would have your short sword, but then they would also have different types where they basically got something like Uncanny Dodge, as well as some other twin slashing abilities and stuff, and that they use their other comrades as living shields as a way to get sneak attack. Oh, that reminds me of one time I have a roommate named Max. He was running a game where he actually rolled on a... Oh, that's right. It was a... It was a DM screen from the CT. Oh, yeah, I think. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he was deciding, he was doing a campaign, and there was a bunch of uh, kobolds in the game, and he was deciding on what uh, how, what would they have in their hands, what kind of weapons would they have. Rolled on the, on the chart, and he came out with another smaller kobold. Oh, nice. Yeah, so uh, a bunch of kobolds came out, and one in the, one in the front just was carrying a much smaller kobold, and hand was swinging them around like crazy. <laughs> Sounds, sounds about right. Mm-hmm, sounds right. very... Well, that reminds me of the... I don't know if you were there for that one shot. I had a, I ran a one shot with some of our friends that we play a bunch of games with as small creatures called Small Folk, which was put together homebrew by your DMJ and Lee Pachewski from Inside Check Podcast, as well as Agin Grimes. And we had basically Small Folk, which were all different, like mice and otters and small creatures against a bunch of kobolds mm, and one mm-hmm, of them yeah, yeah. yep and one of them Caldronon on twitter used mask of many faces to make his otter self look like a very small kobold mm. who got the nickname tiny dave <laughs> and tiny dave has, has now lived in infamy mm. probably from now on so the idea of a little tiny kobold being by another kobold, it's it's pretty on brand. They're uh-huh. not the first one. If you get into fifth edition, and if you go to Volod's Guides Monsters, which is actually quite nice, if you want to get into more deeper lore and flesh out your different monsters a little bit, you have the kobold dragon shield. It's brought back. It said now it's pretty awesome. We now have dragons resistance, so that whatever dragon they worship, they resistant to that kind of damage. Mm-hmm. So that can make for something interesting. Also, heart of the dragon, which means that basically they can save out of being frightened or paralyzed. Now they also have the superior weapon of the pointed stick. And it's the heart of the dragon as opposed to the heart of the cards. They're not trying to pull out the blue eyes white dragon and you know oh, win the win the final fight. Right? No. No. no okay. <laughs> <laughs> So then there's a kobold inventor. So this is a new one that I hadn't seen before. Where back to the grabbing anything that could be uh, useful. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I know this particular stat block. Yep, exactly. And so They're in this case... also Chris Perkins. Yeah, uh-huh, yes. exactly. And so the thing is, is this is weapon invention. So that they basically take... You can roll a d8. And when you roll that d8, you can have a variety of things happen. Either you hurl a flask of acid, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Either hurl alchemist fire, which is a type of chemical reaction, and once it breaks, it 
reacts with how I like to flavor it is it's probably something like sodium or lithium or potassium, which once it hits air, ignites. And so that would be what Alchemist Fire would make of. Um, you can have... Spurt. Yeah, Spurt. That was the name I was looking for. Yes. Mm-hmm. A basket of centipedes, which is mm-hmm. great. You can have green green slime pot, which is what it sounds like, green slime. You green can have slime. <laughs> Yay. Now it's just not me doing it all the time. So there's a rot grub pot. So mm-hmm. you can have those. Scorpion on a stick is one of my favorites. It's great. Yes. It does it sounds exactly how you all said it's what you did is you took a point head stick and made it even better by tying a scorpion to it. Then you can have skunk in a cage. Yep. You gotta name it though. You gotta name the skunk though. Mm-hmm. The last kobold inventor we had was played by our good friend Adriel. She named her skunk Flower, which I think is a superior name. And then wasp nest in a bag. It's all about just finding whatever random creatures are crawling around and putting them on other things. Yep. And then hurling them at people. And then hurling them at people. So they changed, in this case, it looks like 5th edition, basically they changed the worm priest that we were talking about to what they called a kobold scale sorcerer. But... A lot of it's the same. Real quick, that gave that gives me an idea for a, I don't want to say an alchemist, an artificer, maybe mm-hmm. based around that stat block. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. So the Cobalt Scale Sorcerer is even better than the Worm Priest because now you get multiple different kinds of spells. Mm. So basically they're like a third level spellcaster. Almost all of it has to do with, you have Firebolt, Mage Hand, Mending, Poison Spray, Charm Person which I think is interesting. But the thing is, is this difference with this particular stat block is they have increased charisma in comparison to all the other kobolds. Chromatic Orb, Expeditious Retreat, and Scorching Ray. And that, that fits with, with what it tells us earlier in Volos, where most of the sorcerers tend to have either damage spells that help them to like mine out their tunnels or divination to help them find more treasure. Which, you know, in their case might just be bits of glass or, you know, a shiny rock or but there's a you know, particular shells. Yep. There's a particular quote in here, actually from Volo on Volo's Guide to Monsters, which is, Never make the mistake of thinking kobolds are stupid or backward just because they're small. Size has nothing to do with it. Mm. I think there's also one uh, earlier on in the other, in the kobold section up the front here. Is, I believe it's something to do with, uh, let's see... Something. Ah, oh, yes. Kobolds are a lot less cute when they learn how to cast fireball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Ah! Yeah, my face! True. My face! <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your kobolds can be one-off things. They can be a piece of society. They can be beloved reoccurring NPCs, like in yep. our one game. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But probably the most famous, and you, know, you can't have an episode with kobolds without bringing it up. And I think I brought it up even on other episodes. Um, it's been Tucker's brought up kobolds. at least three times, darling. I yeah. love you. <laughs> Tucker's kobolds is like this famous, long-running thing where it was long-running campaign, kind of the classic dungeon delve, and you know, floor by floor, things get tougher, things are harder to fight. But the thing that terrorized them the most and removed the most characters from play was the first couple levels that were just riddled with kobolds. Because this particular DM, Tucker, put them together as this like wily, large force of trap makers. It was wily coyote meets home alone. It was just pure hell in a tunnel. Because it was... They would set up fallback points. They would build murder holes. They would build deadfall traps, pit traps. 
it was riddled with them and constantly harassing the party as they moved through. And so it was like, you know, from this long-running campaign, it now lives in infamy on the internet, as all things do. Once on the internet, it's never not on the internet. Right. That Tucker's kobolds are, like, the way to run kobolds. And honestly, it's not a bad way. Like, it's very fitting to how they've been described in several editions, that it's a lot of rapidly crafted weapons, bits and bobs put into traps. You know, bend a sapling back, put some pointed objects in it, tie it in place, let it go on a trip line. I mean, it's very simple kind of trap building, but effective trap building, where they're not going to do a ton of damage in any one hit, but it is death by a thousand cuts. It is just two or three damage here, five or six damage there, two or three more damage, and when you're level five and you've only got 27 hit points... Oh, and not to mention, do you have any idea where you're going? Do no. You know, yeah, do you know if you're going the right way? You could be being led in circles by these kobolds and just having tunnels collapse behind you so you're forced to take another direction, which could lead to more traps. And, you know, constantly being taunted into further following a kobold. Yeah. If you ever feel like not coming up with your own map, there's a fantastic map in Volos. And we keep coming back to it because, again, it's a great resource in this case. Mm-hmm. Page 69. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> nice. They have a full-page kobold layer map that shows you exactly the kind of, like, over and under tunnels and where they have their root cellars, where they have mushroom farms, where they are sleeping, where they are crafting, escape tunnels. And it is this... It's an ant farm. I mean, pick an ant farm. Pick an, Kobolds are just scaled-up ants in a lot of ways. Tons of them, tiny tunnels, they will dig traps, they will fight as a unit. In a lot of ways, like, go watch nature documentaries on ants from South America. That's your kobolds. Mm. Just Here's 200 of them in a hole. Good luck. Be strong. Like, whatever you need is somewhere down there in that. And, you know, it's tight squeezing. You know, you're constantly squeezing through tunnels. Your front and back of the party are going to be harassed constantly. They can't swap with the middle because there's no room. You're in these tight tunnels. Swinging weapons is a pain. And so it goes from being like, if you do the Final Fantasy battle line with kobolds, kobolds lose. Unless there are 40 of them against a party of five. Right. Like, there's just, there's no way they're going to get enough turns. And they even call out, most of us probably run games where all of the enemies run on the same initiative. It simplifies your game. But they even call out in Volos, break them up. Split your kobolds into two or three groups so that there is that constant feeling of harassment. And so you can't just, oh, their turn's not for five player turns, neat, we're going to gang up on this one and just focus fire them down. When you never know when that turn is coming, it's, where's the biggest threat? And, you know, real quick, that actually reminds me of a trap I made with a bunch of kobolds. Some of my players were going down a rocky road just off the side of a mountain on, on a cliff. Mm-hmm. What they didn't know that the cliff actually hung out of the, the mountain. So what the kobolds did was that around bushes, they would make a big hole underneath the bush mm-hmm. and cover it. And as soon as they get harassed, they would disengage and dive into the bush. And then immediately one of the players would go after the, uh, the kobold to see what's going on. And boom, they have to make a check. They have to make a save in order to prevent themselves from falling through the hole. 
And the hole goes all the way through the cliff. All the way down, yeah. And the kobold's like, ha, I got this little escape tunnel right at the top that you don't fit in. Exactly. They just roll into their little hole and then they just sit there and just stab you. Yeah, it's the the Wily Coyote, Bugs Bunny kind of situation. Go Looney Tunes with your kobold. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, if you you want to get some inspiration, just go look at some old Looney Tunes cartoons. Like, how do you put this together? Because also it's one of the reasons that they use small, small weapons. Daggers, slings. Pointhead stick, right? Because yeah, if you're in easy a to make. well, and also because they it, work well in tunnels. Work well in tunnels. That's the thing. Because yeah, Cause it's, it's like sure, I can give my big ass tower shield and my giant longsword. That's gonna do fuck all right. Versus if I have that small pointed stick, mm-hmm. you know. You want piercing, <laughs> thrusting weapons, not yes. big, wide, sweeping slash weapons. Axes kind of suck in tunnels. Yes. Like a hand axe might be okay. You might have room, but. Anything bigger, yeah, it's going to be unwieldy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having the dagger, the spear, the even a sling because it's portable, and you you can have it at distance. You can yeah. In the handful of open spaces, now you're coming out of a narrow tunnel, and they may have you know the entire room to surround that tunnel and just pelt it with stones. Mm-hmm. You're underground. There's rocks everywhere. Mm-hmm. So ammo's easy. The sling is literally just a string with a wide spot, which is not hard to come up with. A big leaf. A piece of leather you stole from town, a, a chunk of wood, like it literally just has to be something that will hold an object against it when it's being spun. That's it. That, that reminds me of another uh, set of traps. Uh, this was not mine, but this was a friend of mine's. What happened was that you went through a small ravine, just mm-hmm. a small little area that you had to crawl, kind of like squeeze through, and the kobolds would drop two big boulders on either side and get you stuck in there in between, and then these little holes would get pushed out with some with uh, with uh, some sticks and yep. then just start stabbing you. You couldn't get them. Yeah, there's no reprisal because right. you have to go back through the tiny little hole. Right, exactly. So it's hard to hit. And that's exactly what kobolds... Like, sure, they're not super high intelligence. Back All the way back in, in first yeah. edition, it's intelligence, average, parentheses, low. They're on the low... Like, they're slightly below average. But as most, like, beasts and monsters go, that's actually pretty decent. They're, they're cunning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not... It's, it, they don't have a lot of book smarts. But what they know, they know well. Mm-hmm. They are very, very focused on just surviving, digging their tunnels, and building traps. And they work as a group and as a, as a pack. They know jack shit about anything else. Yeah. They're like, society, whatever, spa treatments, not in our purview. Digging a pit trap, absolutely. Fill it with hot water to boil your enemies alive, 100%. You sitting in the water and enjoying it, they're going to be confused. Well, yeah, we're going on about traps, but that's what that's kobolds. All, all but now, the time. see, now I'm envisioning the kobold spa. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. <laughs> like, I mean, if they're already in society, this could be your your undercommon enclave. Like, the kobolds run the spa. Mm-hmm. Like, they walk on your back to massage you, mm. hot rock treatments. But to them, it's like we're just taking our traps, and people like them. They give us money. It was weird, but we get shiny things. Right. They give. Yeah, a hundred percent. It goes to the horde. I think I'm gonna, I may steal that. Go for it. Steal that. Yeah. <laughs> everything here is it's, freely available. Take it. Everything is Because she has available. wares if you have coin. <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to go back to the biology a little bit? You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can talk stuff. kobold ideas and traps all day. Yeah. Well, it's it is a it is a lot of fun because basically sky's the limit on the different ways that you can. No, they're they're pretty much against the sky. They they want no sky. Okay. But the core of the earth might be the limit. All right. Anyway. They might dig too greedily and too deep. Too deep. deep. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about them being subterranean and being reptiles, 
Well, there is not a huge... So there are plenty of reptiles which dig, right, and bury, but tend to not be subterranean. Yeah, they're not fully subterranean. They're not it's, fully subterranean. I'll dig a den to sleep in. Yes. I'll dig a den to lay my eggs in. Yes. But for the most part, yeah, reptiles are, are above-ground creatures. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, real-world examples are, again, with you back to... They really should be more of a, an arid creature and probably just one that has adapted to being other places. Yes. For example, of the sort of underground reptiles tend to... There are certain cold-blooded reptiles which are particularly well-suited to sort of an underground lifestyle, but it's only because the ground temperature changes less than the surface, so that's why... Burrowing L underground can help them regulate temperature. So in arid regions, tend to speaking, if you have a sandfish or you have different types of horned lizards, things of that nature, is that they will dig beneath the sand in the hottest part of the day where it's cooler to help regulate their body temperature and then come out at night. Mm-hmm. But they're not a like strictly subterranean all the time kind of. And I mean bearded dragon is it not a kobold <laughs> yes so if you look at so depending on the art you look at and of even current 5e art it looks a heck of a lot like a bearded dragon does you, yeah. you tell which, me that's not a kobold that's laying on the ground yes which is a, a quadrupedal kobold so if you had to change kobolds do you think they would be warm-blooded I think that they would be fine if you wanted to have them subterranean, but I would not put them in a temperate region. Mm. So either that, as we said earlier, they would have to be like in some place, as you said, it seems like thermal vents, a thermal vents or certain areas where they could have places at least that if it did have winter time that they could regulate their temperature. I was mentioning this earlier on that the skull shape itself, at Mm. least on the current Kobolds either, as you said, a bearded dragon is a type of arid reptile, mm-hmm. right, that will also deal with sort of sand and things of that nature. A lot of what they look is almost a bit like a crocodilian. So when I mean a crocodilian, I mean crocodiles, alligators, caimans. They look a lot like a caiman, which is South American version of a alligator, basically. They're a bit smaller. Skull shape's a bit different. Their eyes are a bit different. Different facial structural features remind me a lot of how kobold works, especially if you look at how the snout is shaped. So the thing is, is the snout of a kobold, where the breathing holes are at the top, right, mm-hmm. of the jaw, is very much for swimming. Yeah, it's for, oh. for keeping your stealth and being able, either swimming, be it, in, in water, water or in or sand, in like sand. the sandfish. Yes. That you want to have as little exposed as possible, both for stealth and for temperature regulation. Right. If you're trying to stay at that sort of consistent temperature, being out in the hot sun to breathe is disadvantageous. You're going to overheat. So you want to stay where the sand's a little bit cooler, but still you have to breathe at some point. Yep. So being able to poke out like just a nostril or just a, a nose hole to open and shut to quickly grab a breath and dive back under... In any fluid surface, you know, sand like sugar is a fluid. Yes. Really. And so it's one of the reasons that alligators and crocodiles and caimans all have their eyes and their nostrils that's basically the same level on the top of their head. head. Basically, everything else can stay underneath for stealth reasons mostly and for hunting. They also are fairly unique amongst predatory species in that they are not... They don't have binocular vision. No, they do not. Their their eyes are on the side more like a prey species. species. 
Which, if they, if that is a prey species, what in the world is eating it? Number one. <laughs> yes. But number two, it's, it's more because they are not a direct line predator, which fits well with the kobold. Crocodilians are ambush predators by nature. Yes. Their whole goal is to remain as unseen as possible, to move as little as possible, and to lure something into a false sense of security, a la a trap. And as soon as something is within striking distance, it's an immediate explosive burst of speed, and if they miss, they back off. Like, in a straight fight, crocodilians can be taken down, especially smaller, like caimans, or just younger crocodilians, they are taken down pretty easily. Like, if you catch them in the open, everything outside of the mouth is pretty undefended. Like, they can move quickly, they can whip around, they're dangerous animals, don't get me wrong. But their main advantage is the just direct forward explosive force. Yeah. If they miss, they back off. Their hunt is blown. Yeah. They're so, not going to catch up over ground. So them being mm. underground isn't hugely... It, I guess the, it's not a huge deal on that. It's the a lot of reptiles spend a large amount of their time underground. However, it's in more subtropical, tropical, and arid regions. As long as there's a environmental reasons why they would be able to survive there. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's just because there are reptiles that are further north, but the one they tend to be very small and two Which does fit kobolds which to a degree. Fits kobolds to a degree, but not very many. The majority of the species of reptiles and amphibians and stuff all occur in places that are warmer. And there are amphibians which are more well adapted to the cold. And so, for example, you have amphibians which can go into that type of that suspended torpor, right. animation, torpor, those kinds of ideas. And but, the things being smaller, they're going to have a harder time regulating temperature. Yes, so the larger you are, the easier time you have mm. on Because you have so much more mass to hold the temperature in. Right? Yes. And it is literally called thermal mass. Yes. Um, so being a 45-pound, three- to four-foot-tall lizard... You're not holding in a lot of heat, even when you do manage to find it. So in that case, let's say that there's a bunch of kobolds, they're sneaking out of their hole, they're in the middle of the night trying to do what they're going to do, they would do it very quickly. They yes. Would, they would be as fast as they can in and out. Yes. They wouldn't stick around for anything. No, you wouldn't want to stick around for any period of time, and depending on like the time of the year and different things of that nature. Right. So. Or yeah, if they're in Shalt, nighttime yeah. is cooler, but it's not cold. Right. Right. You know. right. So like that's not Chalton nighttime is still seventy degrees Fahrenheit. That could also determine the when they do their breeding, when they lay their eggs, those different sort yeah, of they ideas. They can lay eggs six times a year, but it doesn't mean that they do. Do. Mm. Right. So the thing is that most of the time when we look at biology where it's like up to this amount of time, it's the if conditions were absolutely perfect in every way and we had lots and lots of food and all this other stuff. But that doesn't always occur. And a lot of the times reptiles will skip certain years and there are certain instances this happens in mammals too where it's like they may have eggs that never fully mature they just get reabsorbed into the body Hmm. if conditions Conditions are are not right. I know that there was a mention earlier about gender switch Mm -hmm. which is actually very interesting so gender switching in reptiles is not common Mm -hmm. but can happen some fish fish is most common there is and i did find an article of one in particular which is an australian bear dragon which because of course it is <laughs> they will change their sex which has to do with temperature and the same is this, true with crocodilians with, yes this with, is the same with crocodilians it doesn't it's not that they change their sex it is that 
when the eggs are incubating, depending on the temperature of the environment, will determine whether that they end up being a female, females or males. Yeah. And crocodilians are the same way where it's within the same, even within the same nest, the eggs that are nearer the top because they are cooler will be one gender versus the others at the bottom will be the opposite gender, gender because it's warm. Mm. Yes. And it's a difference of like a few degrees, if I remember right. It's mm-hmm. like 93 is, is female and, and 96 or 97 is male and Fahrenheit. Yeah. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's like that. I mean, it's I within will, a very short I will short double check band. that because it has to do with, so um, we'll get into that in a second, but for this Australian bearded dragon can switch its sex determined by the genes having to do with temperature. So some types of fish can reverse their sex. Mm-hmm. So parrotfish start life as females and change into males. So that actually has to do with just their age. In rare cases, some amphibians can switch. And But this was, when was this published? Clownfish, I think, yes. also as they age. Yes. Which, which is why Finding Nemo is inaccurate. It should be his mom <laughs> looking for him, not his dad. It's true. But um, it was also his dad. His dad mom. His dad mom. Anyway, so in 2015... <laughs> This was the first time they documented wild reptiles changing their sex in response to temperature. So actual and adult change. Mm. So it was the, we thought, we thought we knew it all about sex. I love this quote. <laughs> From researcher in the University of Canberra, Australian ecologist Arthur George is told Business Inside, but along came our little dragon. Brings mm. new meaning to foreigners, hot-blooded. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, bearded dragons inherit two sex chromosomes, one from each of their parents, just like humans. In reptiles, instead of it being an X and a Y, it's a Z and a W. Boy lizards are ZZ, girls are ZW. Okay. So from this study, the Georges and his colleague captured 131 wild adult bearded dragons from different parts of Australia and brought them back to their lab to breed them. They could tell what sex the lizards were based off the presence or absence of the male sex organs, which are called hemipenes. Mm-hmm. After the females laid eggs, the researchers moved them to separate container to incubate them until they hatched. They sequenced the lizard's sex chromosomes to determine their genetic sex. Curiously, 11 of the lizards, the ones from the warmest areas that were sampled, had a male sex chromosomes, but in all other ways were female. Hmm. So yeah, as they were in a hot territory, they were presenting as female, female. in phenotype, despite a male genotype. Yep. Even huh. more... So as I said, it's a new meaning to foreigners hot-blooded. It's now the Trans-Lizard Anthem. Yes. Even more <laughs> surprisingly, the offspring of the sex-changing lizards had a sex that was determined by temperature alone. Within one generation, the W chromosome was completely eliminated from the population. Hmm. It just disappeared out of the progeny. And once the chromosome is gone, it's really hard to flip back because once you've thrown that machinery away to reinvent, it takes a long time. And so this is similar to humans and other mammals. When you're developing in your mom... In utero. In utero, you start as a female. Mm -hmm. And that's the default. And then the Y chromosome becomes active and starts doing doing other things, Mm -hmm. right? So the thing is, is in reptiles, it's the opposite, where it's the you start as male as the default... And then the W chromosome starts producing things to make you become female. So the thing is that the W chromosome got lost over the generations. And so you can't bring it back, basically. But you still need females. So the the temperature sensitivity must have Mm -hmm. either already existed or been evolved then from 
Yeah, the, the sex-reversed females also tend to lay about twice as many eggs as normal girl lizards, so over time that resulted in a largely female population. Hmm. Scientists aren't sure why the lizards evolved this ability to change sex, but one possibility is it gives them more flexibility to live in different environments. Mm. But it could also mean that the lizards became more susceptible to the changes of climate change because their population could up end up becoming 100% female. Now, this might not be a problem, though. There's a reason for this. And it has to do with reptiles being weird. So reptiles, certain types can go undergo what's called parthenogenesis, which is that you don't need a man. <laughs> For those who are unfamiliar with the biological term but have played Mass Effect, the Asari. Mm. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. There are some cases where the female can just spontaneously have babies, and they're all clones of herself. Mm-hmm. She can steal sperm from other lizards to induce to have babies, but though that sperm is not involved in making the babies whatsoever. Hence the Asari. Right. Yes. So that is another example. And this happens in snakes. This happens in certain lizards. This also happens in certain insects. And there is a species of lizard, I believe, that are all 100% female. There so, are no males left. My brain wants to say like a shovel-nosed skink or something. I would have to double-check. Double I don't think that's right. But. Okay. It's been a while. Yep. Been a while. Been a while since I looked up only girl lizards. Uh, you should worry about your search history. Hun. <laughs> you should clear that when Hun. you have a chance. Hun. Welcome to Lizard OnlyFans. <laughs> they know I'm a bi biologist. It's fine. Mm. Don't don't worry. There 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 are only a, there's only a few subset of nerds that look up stuff like this. Let's be real. The search algorithm is just like things you've looked up in the last forty minutes make no sense. There's and a I'm, list. I'm afraid. There's a list that you're on that says nerd. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. You are correct. Mm. So yeah, you got this this biological capability to. <laughs> become perfectly balanced as all things should be. Um, <laughs> Thanos lizards. Uh huh. Kobolds, so balanced right now. Mm -hmm. To kind of regenerate your population from almost nil. Like as long as, long as there are at least two kobolds, yep. there will Here be more kobolds. Here we are, 2010. Somehow. Scientific American. No sex needed. All female lizard species cross their chromosome to make babies. 1960s scientists have known some species of whiptail lizard need a male even less than a fish needs a bicycle. <laughs> These Which lady... is a famous Guinness beer ad. Yep. These all lady lizard species... Which it's a whiptail lizard. From Mexico and U.S. Southwest managed to produce well-bred offspring without the aid of male fertilization. But how do they? And the other 70 species of vertebrates that propagate this way do it without genetic monotony and disease vulnerability that results from asexual reproduction. That remains unclear. So one of the problems with having babies that are exactly genetically the same as you is whatever diseases or other bad things can kill you can also kill them. There's not a lot of genetic, there's no genetic diversity. And so what can happen is you are just one bad day away from extinction. Wiping out all mm -hmm. of whatever type of lizard. Mm -hmm. So at least kobolds, it sounds like there's still a genetic diversity involved. Yes. But there's some type of machinery, be it you know, magical or biological, we'd like to believe biological, that allows them to kind of regenerate from a devastating loss. Mm -hmm. 
And the, you know, if each kobold is having six eggs a year, that's a fairly low fecundity rate. But the issue is, if there's a couple hundred of, of them, them, you get over it. Yeah. That's well, you know twelve hundred new kobolds every, in a year. And to remind everyone, fecundity is the number of females and amount of babies that they can have in a year. So the different strategies, if you're wanting to survive in the great wide world, is you can be a creature that has low fecundity, like primates, like elephants, like other types of mammals. They have only a few babies, but they take very good care of them. And they also put in a lot of investment and time and effort so that they grow to adulthoods. Versus your other evolutionary strategy is called high fecundity, which is usually what most reptiles have, amphibians or fish. Which is you have a huge number of babies, and you go, good luck, be strong. Mm -hmm. And you put numbers on your side. And it's usually for things which are prey species. Rabbits are the same way when they say they breed like rabbits. Well, it's like a rabbit has a gestation period of a month. Oh, yes. Gestation period of a month. They wean the babies within six to eight weeks. Technically, they can have maybe four litters in a year. And each of those litters is somewhere between five and ten babies. They usually only live to be like two. So what you do is you just have a whole bunch of them. And then numbers are on your side that at least a couple are going to make it. If you're a fish, if you're a reptile, that's sort of the you idea. You just have lots and lots of eggs. Lots and lots and lots of eggs. A la the salmon, right? A la the salmon. Dump a couple million eggs in a river and drop dead. Good luck. Be strong, little eggs. Mm -hmm. Or you can be like some other reptiles where they don't die, but it's like sea turtles where they're like, here's a bunch of eggs in a hole, and then they just fuck off back to the ocean. They're like, good luck, eggs. <laughs> See you never. Mm-hmm. As you said, it'd be generally low fecundity, but you have a whole bunch of them, and it seems like they would are kind of in the other strategy, which like we spend a lot of time making sure that the village, the village is raising the kids. Right, you know? but it's not like an individual responsibility where it's like you know the the mothers and fathers are taking care of their individual babies. They put all the eggs in one big pile, unless it's an extra special egg, and then they just. When they hatch, they hatch. Everybody grab one and get to work. Actually, it, it does relate back. I had this thought as we were sitting here was that it makes me think of the Edgar Rice Burroughs Barsoom series or John Carter of Mars. Uh, mm -hmm. The race of green Martians, the Tharks, mm -hmm. have these giant hatcheries that are just like chock-a-block with eggs, put them all together, and when they hatch, everybody just shows up, grab a baby, raise it, go nuts. Mm -hmm. You could have something very similar with kobolds where it's just like... They pop out, and it's like, hey, I'm a miner. You're my kid now. Come over here. Learn to mine things. Learn to craft things. And you just you go do stuff. You do a little of everything, and then you as a kobold, as long as you're useful to your group, you continue. And actually, that was another thing that they talk about in Volos, was that they collect teeth. And so usually their own teeth. And this was back to the tooth shroud. Here's a callback. Gosh dang it. That freaking thing. Um, kobolds apparently are like sharks in that they just perpetually grow more teeth. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if a tooth falls out, another one will grow in to replace it. So there is a true horror, is if you do find a kobold skull, like a shark skull, Oof. it's just full of teeth. Just all the teeth. You know, Like three or four rows of teeth in that jaw. I have to imagine that in some ways they probably use their own teeth for weapons and tools. Oh yeah, why not? I mean, yeah. if they're falling out, you know, breaking off, whatever. Well. Some of them wear them as necklaces. Yeah. And it, it even talks about that, like, you know, the elders might have a whole bunch of teeth, so that means that they're old and wise, so some of them will fake it. Like, they'll just knock out their own teeth and put them on their necklaces, 
And they're like, look, I'm old and wise and know things, because they're just going to grow new teeth. Right. So, now, there's the next question. How quickly do they grow new teeth? Like, oh, is it like sharks, where it's just like the next one's ready to rock and roll? Or I, is it going to be like a, you might spend a couple months with no tooth? Yeah, I think that's probably more likely. You're likely going to spend a few months. Well, uh, hard to say, though. I mean, again, sharks, it falls out. The next one's you're back up in line within like a couple of days, I think. Like, it's really quick. See, uh, but uh, the situation I'm imagining is a couple doing exactly that, knocking out all of their teeth. And just going, hey, everybody, I'm pretty smart. Could happen. And you look old because you got no teeth. Right. Could happen. You just don't know, Cobalt dentures. Uh-huh. Do they just make them out of other cobalt teeth? Oh, they would. Just like, maybe that's your service. Like, for some reason, you're the cobalt freak that grows so many teeth. So when they need teeth to help someone else, like, to help the older kobolds keep having teeth, you just knock out all of Jim's teeth. And just stick them in the other kobolds. Maybe, maybe. What if you make bear traps? The teeth on the trap jaws are just kobold teeth. Maybe teeth. It's teeth all the way down. I was gonna say maybe. Welcome te- to Tooth Hour. <laughs> maybe teeth are currency among kobolds too. Could be. Maybe not not gold and whatnot because that goes for the horde, but between kobolds each each other, you know the one that gathers the most is the most intelligent, obviously. Or do you go like full like kobold narwhal? Where, like, there's one tribe that just wants to, like, keep one tooth. Uh-huh. Because that's the other strategy for, for, like, continuous tooth growth. Is if you're not knocking them out and just having new teeth, it's just continual growth of teeth. Because hmm. that's, like, capybaras and nutrias and, like, guinea pigs. Like, their teeth are just constantly growing. And they have to chew things to stop them from growing. Ah, you make a good point. Hmm. So maybe it's a status symbol to have, like, a super long tooth. That would be interesting. That's another way to deal with it. Uh-huh. So it's like, sure, most kobolds, the teeth fall out, but maybe there was an isolated group, so maybe someplace cold, where they were stuck in for a couple long winters. Well, and also size. This is something also I'm thinking about, because, as I said before, reptiles which live in more northern areas tend to be smaller because they are spending a huge amount of their time not growing, right? Because they're not eating. Because they're not eating, you know, or whatever. Maybe your kobolds, which went north, are small. Just tiny kobolds. Lilliputian kobolds. Lilliputian kobolds, right? And then because your tropical reptiles are always larger, generally speaking, because they can grow all the time. Also, the older they get, the bigger they get. So Mm. most reptiles don't really stop growing most of the time. It's that they usually die, you know, at some point from disease or whatever. If you want to have the big, scary mob boss kobold... They're going to be big. They're going to be big. Think of them just big. And they probably won't move much. Yeah. Because they're the big. Would, yeah, the elder would be really big. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, yeah, yeah if you if you were the like, kobold that made it to 120 or 135, the, the exact age of, like, kind of their max differs mm-hmm. over additions. But there's nothing that says that that 100-year-old kobold is not 5 feet tall and weighs, like, 80 pounds. Like, they could just be really freaking big for a kobold. And the other kobold's like, yeah, feed them. Because mm-hmm. they're going to be, you know, they have all this knowledge they're gonna have just shitloads of teeth. They survive for this long, so we gotta. They might have a tooth throne. <laughs> I like the tooth throne. That yeah. actually sounds pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, New album name, Tooth Throne. Tooth Throne. Yep, there we go. There's the band name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. New from Cobalt Pack, the Tooth Throne. 
I don't know. <laughs> gotta get our band name in. Yeah, no, I know. We gotta get our band name in. And what else have we missed on bingo? I'm not sure if we got. I'm not sure. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, get get creative with your kobolds. They're they could be anywhere, uh-huh. but it's a question of like, yeah, exactly that. Is what is it biologically makes sense? In an Icewind Dale type situation, far in the spine of the world, they're gonna be probably small. They're gonna spend their winter underground if they come out at all. Because Icewind Dale is supposed to be like snow year-round, like perpetual permafrost kind of thing. If there's kobolds, they're going to be near thermal vents. They will be deep in caves. And, like, I mean, ramp up the sunlight sensitivity. I mean, maybe like a light spell freaks them out. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because the only light they've ever seen is, like, bioluminescence and whatever comes from, like, lava tubes. Even fire may be unique to them because they may live near thermal vents, and that's their heat. In first edition, there was a separation between true dark vision and what they called infravision. Oh. Kobolds had infravision where they could see heat, a la predator. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. and that's also similar to snakes. Is it? Yeah, they're, they're heat sensing. And yeah, you could give kobolds kind of the snake treatment and have them like flicking the tongue in and out and trying to pick up like oh, heat and scent yeah. response in that way. That would be interesting. And have like heat sensing glands, particularly if they were truly a like full-time subterranean kobold, the need for eyesight Dwindles. You could, uh, you could the, even the cave kobold, like the cave blind, like completely white well, eye. and that is something that we've discussed before, because there are certain species of fish and insects and other types of cave dwelling animals that have lost their eyes. Have lost their eyes completely. We're mm. completely blind because it's not necessary. Because evolutionary speaking, eyes why, are expensive. Eyes are expensive. Why maintain an organ you don't need? So if you were completely subterranean all the time... So that's the thing. Diamonds are everywhere underground. So, But eyeballs are expensive. So eyeballs are a girl's best friend underground. Just putting it out there. Sure! <laughs> if you've learned nothing from listening to this podcast, you know that my brand is Eldritch Horror. Tooth thrones and giving out eyeballs. Why not? Kobolds are weird. They're going to do weird things. Oh, 100%. But yeah, you could have a cave kobold. They could be fairly pale in color, because color is not going to make a big deal in a society that is underground. Right. So, you know, these, like, pale gray or white kobolds with either, like, very small eyes, completely white eyes. This is what we were thinking. Or even, like, just no eyes at all. And they may have blind sense or use blind fighting out of Tasha's. Yeah, I was thinking that. Give your kobolds all blind fighting where it's like, yeah, they can't see, but if you're within ten feet... They're going to find you, and it's going to be unpleasant. Right. Right? And their traps are probably going to be very devious. Because, or completely obvious. Because they have they don't think about hiding things from sight. Because it's dark. Right. So you may have kobolds that have super inept traps, and they're just everywhere. But they know exactly where they are because they place them as part of their, like, native like mapping cave. of their cave. You know, and I was also thinking that potentially... Whether or not they have to deal with humanoid species will kind of affect the traps that they make. The kind yeah. of traps that they may expect, they, they may make. But deep be... underground, yeah, they could be Durgar traps. Yeah. Or Sferf Neblin traps. Look at that face. Oh, that's Yes. Yeah. Maybe their hatred of gnomes is not a big deal, but they're dealing with deep gnomes. Right. And so there's some kind of competition there. Maybe they're working with drow, and instead of digging sewers, they're digging their air vents. Mm-hmm got to get air underground, and there's only so many ways to deal with that. There's an ecology. There's there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's something going on. They're there for a reason. 
Well, and if you, as I said, speaking of ecology, if you wanted to, you have this subterranean sort of labyrinth. And you said, like, they have their root cellar and they have their mushroom farm and things of that nature. It's like air vents. And it's like, okay, now start adding all your other other ground dwellers. Right. And other fauna that's going to live around this colony. Centipedes, scorpions, Scorpions. spiders, Spiders. worms. Mm Mm-hmm. And then some burrowing mammals, hence the giant weasels' mouths. They can squeeze through tight spaces. So there may be mink and ferrets. Mm-hmm. And, and they're just going to sort of coexist. Because those are going to be pest control. You know, they talk about that they, like, tame rats and things to help them, like, sniff things out. You know, sniff out mushrooms and whatnot. Something has to control that population. So they're going to keep things like mink around to eat the rats. They're going to, maybe not cats, but it's possible. I think a kobold would eat a cat if you had an opportunity. That. I was thinking that, yeah. You know, because it's free meat. I don't know how useful a cat would be underground for a kobold, but it would be for the fur, potentially. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, again, if you can... you it, Well, and can you trap heat? Uh-huh. There's another underground thing. Maybe if they don't have a, a continuous thermal vent, maybe they trap hot gases in, like, leather... In, they're using wineskins to trap hot gas in and put that under their coat to keep themselves warm because they're not generating heat. Right. So so now you have these coals that look all big and bulky, but it's literally just hot air. It's li- yeah, just hot air. Yep. No, that'd be good. Because they're keeping them warm. You know, the, the hot water bottle would be the ultimate service item. You're not going to trade glass beads to the Icewind Dale kobolds, but they'll take hot water bottles for days. Oh, but on top of that, also consider the kobolds bargaining with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they're not just... They may be hostile, but, I mean... If you give them something shiny, if you give them something worth it... They're their... lawful. Like they have, yeah. They're evil. They're out for themselves. Right. But they're not vindictive. Right. right? Like It's not the, the malicious evil. It's just like, listen, we're going to do with our shit, and that means that, you know, screw everybody else. Like We're just going to steal whatever's not nailed down because it's useful. They may end up stealing from you regardless if you end up dealing with them, but in the long run, as long as they survive, that's all they care about. Right. Yeah. So if you're providing for that, you have a ready force, and hence the like city... City kobolds, and I, I was even thinking about this too. If they're digging the sewers, in most large cities, and especially, I mean, this is true in the real world, there are large cities that have heat pipes uh-huh. that run throughout the city that are either steam or oil. Who says your kobolds are not living in the tunnels with the heat pipes? Like, that's what they're getting out of the arrangement. They're going to dig it, like, they don't really care about the sewer and the smells because, I mean, they're carrying around skunks and cages. But oh, yeah. the heat pipe is like, this is the lizard, this, this is the heat lamp. Mm-hmm. Like, if the artificer can invent the heat lamp for the lizard, like, you've got a kobold pet. Just carry him around like a heat lamp in a little wagon. You know, turn him loose now and then if you need latrines dug when you get to camp. Mm-hmm. Kobolds love to dig. Like, that's their jam. They're like, I'm going to dig tunnels. Keep a heat lamp. Keep your ever-burning flame. Well, and Put it you... in the corner of a wagon. <laughs> Couldn't you see that if you're a kobold artificer, what if they invented something like a magic item that provided heat? I mean, right. and that could be a reason why they are, they, they can go the, out. The heat yeah. rock. Yeah, the, the heat, heat rock. The heat rock, like an amulet, any sort of thing like that. Yeah. Could really extend the way that they could move around and do things in society, certainly. And, I mean, goodness. I'm picturing Eberron kobolds now. Right? Just loaded with all sorts of just trinket magic items. They would be a complete mess. Yeah. 
No, it'd be great. That's going in a game. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> You're like, I love it. <laughs> I am doing it now. The idea of that being with the steam vents, like, underneath, like, a big city or whatever, what that reminded me of is, even in the real world, where there are these large oil pipelines, mm-hmm. is that up in very, very cold places, like in Alaska, you have to heat the oil. those... Keep it moving. Those pipes to mm-hmm. keep the oil moving. The survivability of different mammals and other creatures up in those areas actually increased, the population increased. The reason is just because they would bed down and sleep and stay near these heated pipes. Because it, it heat, in, by its very nature, you can't contain all of the heat. You can contain most of it. Some will leach out. And sure, it's a difference between being minus 30 and, and minus 20, but that can be the difference in survival when that little bit of extra heat keeps you going that much longer. Mm-hmm. So being around a heat pipe of some type or creating a heat pipe of some type, there's your kobold inventors. They just build like a heated tube on wheels and they just roll it around. We just feed coal into this giant tube and it, it makes heat. It's not practical, but they would be excited about it. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it's not about practicality. They're used to labor. Yeah, right. I think we're back to the cobalt spa now. Right, right, right. right. I'm not against it. Except now it's a mobile home. Right. They're Alabama cobalts. <laughs> traveling around. It's a Winnebago. <laughs> I could see it. Steam-powered Winnebago. Just trying to see if there's any kind of pun with Winnebago. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we covered all the biology, I think. So and, yeah. and and all the di- the myriad of ways you can use kobolds in your game. Oh, they're, just, they're just wonderful. If you have if you just have wacky ideas, kobolds are great to to, to come to just have those come out. Because the like the scratchy voice and the the sort of yippy communication and strange noises in the dark and then being attra- attacked by this tribe of five year old dragon children. They're six years old and they're adults, and they're about the size of most human six-year-olds. It's not immediately terrifying, but it, it's the age-old question of, like, you know, would you fight 100 fifth graders? Like, that's that's what you're dealing with. Especially with the pointed sticks? Yeah, would you fight 100 first graders so. with pointed sticks? It sounds like yes, but then you realize how terrifying that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then maybe there's, like, five or six of them, and you chase them, and then they make you fall through a cliff. Yeah. Or they take you back to a really nice spa. I mean, it's 50-50. Right? <laughs> it's a traveling cobalt spa. I could see that. Like, that's the kind of weird thing that, that I'm all about. I mean, you did just kind of come up with it. Yeah, it's true. So. What else could kobolds get up to, right? Like, like, like what's the kobold business venture? See, I actually came up with Is an idea. Is it for teeth? Is it like a traveling dentist? Well, because they're subservient, specifically under dragon types, mm-hmm. in my world, dragonborn adopt yeah. uh, kobolds. Dragonborn religions in my world, they are very, they're either chromatic or metallic. metallic. Yeah. And there's another subsection that mm-hmm. is, comes from, the, from those groups that tend to be a little bit more nomadic. And they take the kobolds and treat them well, but they also use them as little, little servants to take care of little tasks and whatnot. They're well, and if you want to go the neutral route and go in older editions, and I'm waiting for it in 5th edition, are the neutral dragons. Ah. The gem dragons. Ah. You know what? I remember yeah, having a all, all the crystal dragons that are... Yeah, was, I forget. I think there was like 3rd editions the last time they showed up, but mm-hmm. I would happily bring them back in 5th edition because it's another option. Yeah. Plus, then you get kobolds that are super obsessed with gems. Right. And that would be fun. 
Yeah, the only reason is that I used an interpretation of worshipping dragon types kind of loosely mm-hmm. was that I just had a trio of kobolds that followed a trio of fairy dragons around because they believed that those fairy dragons were gods. And so, the yeah. fairy dragons themselves were only slightly smarter than the kobolds, which is why it made everything very fun. <laughs> yeah, you've got fairy dragons, you've got pseudo-dragons, you have Abishai. Mm-hmm. If you want to go Ooh, Abishai, yeah. like far more the evil end of, of your dragonborn, go full freaking demon and go well, Abishai. And I actually did have that happen, where it's that our trio of kobolds had been worshipping the fairy dragons and then met some Abishai and were like, wow, these people are dope. We should hang out with them. And then found out they were very mean. And we're like, maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> I well, mean, you could also play up the herb thing and maybe these are just giant winged kobolds and we really super hate them. Or you can even have a shyster yeah. use a spell and make himself look like a dragon type of humanoid. Mm-hmm. And trick the kobolds. And then now he's in trouble because eventually they're going to find out. And who knows what they're going to do to him. Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. That's about all I've got. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Everybody, it's been great. We uh, we thank Darwin for joining us this, this month. Going over kind of the, the, one of the classics of D&D. Is there any place you know, if you, you, know, you want people looking out for you or if it's just kind of a, you know, hey, I'm out here. I'm on Twitter. At uh, at Shadow Dun Shadow D U N, if you just want to say hi or hello, I, I talk about D and D from time to time, world building, map making, things like that. I'm a bit of a cartographer, although amateur ish. I make stuff for my world, but otherwise, yeah, find me there. Sounds great. Well, yeah. as always, keep rolling and everything. Phytologist, Dr. Rochelle Lapham, aka Fido or DP, and I use the pronoun she/her. And I'm Ethan Lapham, uh, also known as Talking Three Six Three, and I use pronouns uh, he/him. And this is Natural Twenty. <laughs> Natural Twenty is a podcast that discusses the lore, history, and biology of Dungeons and Dragons creatures and monsters. Natural Twenty is also an adult podcast featuring adult language. You have been warned.